Hello and welcome to a special bonus edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. Dave Freezer here and I am alongside Paddy Davitt. We've got a bit of breaking news midweek for you ahead of the Liverpool game, so I thought it's worth having a quick catch up with you guys. Alex Tetty signing a new contract. The the timing are a little bit unexpected, but one that Norwich have got in the bag nice and early. A one-year extension, which takes Alex into his ninth season with the club. So... Pad, um, so are you surprised by it at all, or is it just good, sensible business from from Stuart Weber and Daniel Farker? Well, both, I think, Dave. Yeah, a little bit surprising because the whole ethos of how Norwich are trying to do this now is youth, and notably, we saw that again reiterated in the last week of January's window with Melvin City and then Sam McCallum, both signed two teenagers, both then loaned back to their former clubs. But very much that's the Norwich way now is finding players ideally at the start of their careers or very early in their careers and then adding value on and off the pitch and then you know that they move on but it's to the to the benefit of all parties so with the greatest respect to, to the man Mr Tetty is at the other end of his career now and uh, I don't think it's a, it's a disparaging title to call him a veteran now he certainly is amongst this group of Norwich players and for them to be giving contracts you know we saw it with Wes that they, they, it was thanks for all you've done where's brilliant service but um, you know time moves on and we're going in a different direction and maybe you know your usefulness is at an end um, we saw it obviously then the first summer Stuart came in and the John Ruddies and the Ryan Bennett's but but a lot of that probably was driven by the finan- financial imperative but Evo Pinto as well again you know there was no new contract for Evo and, and, and they shook hands and, and he obviously isn't had plenty of years still left so one thing you can say with Weber mainly because he's the one who pulls the strings with the recruitment but also Daniel whose input would be huge in this there's never any sentiment you know the decisions they make are firm pragmatic business decisions and they clearly feel it's not Alex we're going to reward you with another year and, and you know almost um, put your feet up they still think he is a frontline live option whatever league and it obviously increasingly looks like back in the championship but they feel and why wouldn't they? Because, you know, we'll get into it, but his, his output in the Premier League, this, I think he's caught everyone by surprise. I doubt there'd have been many Norwich fans or probably media before a ball was kicked at Liverpool would have thought Alex Tetty would play as many midfield minutes as he has done in the Premier League. Um, and that's a testament to him, really, that, that his level of performance has stepped up and has been consistent and he's almost added things to his game in terms of his passing. Um, that's not something you associate with him. It's more the combative elements to his game, but... He certainly has improved in that facet and he needed to to be part of a Daniel Farker midfield because we know the emphasis that he places on good technical players. So it is a surprise because of his age, um, but it isn't a surprise in terms of what he's brought to the team this season um, and since Daniel Farker has come to the club. And a huge testament to Alex because I think it's safe to say when Daniel Farker first arrived, Alex Tetty probably wasn't in his plans. He didn't start those first few games um, but we always go back to Daniel and the Millwall watershed, that game where they got very badly beaten. Never saw Russell Martin, never saw uh, Marcel Franca again. But what we did see after that was Alex Tetti back in the fold and um, and he hasn't looked back. And I think this will be well received by most Norwich fans. I think they can they can see an Alex Tetti who still has plenty to offer. Uh, and if, if that is the case, given how difficult it is to go out and recruit, why wouldn't you keep him in the building? 
Yeah, it's a great point. And earlier in that year, in 2017, just before Weber and Farker came in, that was when he retired from his international duty as well, wasn't he? You know, born in Ghana, but moved to Norway as a 12-year-old, I think it was, and made over 30, 30 caps for Norway, uh, played in some very high-level games um, for uh, for his country. So that at that time, he was struggling with his knees, wasn't he? And that does seem to have paid off for him down the track. And this taking him into a ninth season... Um, one of the things that uh, I guess he will have had half an eye on, although it's not going to be the driving factor, is that he's on the verge of moving into the top 50 all-time appearance makers for the club. He is on, now I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head, I think I'm right, 228 appearances so far, 228, and he's four short of Martin Peters and Malky Mackay, which would draw him level on 50th. So given we've got 13 games after the season, he should surpass them. He's then in the top 50. Should he be a regular next season again uh, when he, turn, he turns 34 in, in April? So if he manages to continue during his 35th year as a regular for Norwich, then it's very possible he'll end up in the top 30 by the end of the next season. And who knows? We can't. It's difficult to say at this point without knowing what league they're in. But the one thing you can say at this point with him signing this contract is that he is a sort of living legend, isn't he? He will go down as a club legend. And rightly so, because... And we had this with Wes and and everything that went into you know the package that was Wes's farewell tour and culminating in that game against Leeds that season. That you you stop and you reflect on those numbers and for me it's the longevity now because it's so increasingly unusual in the modern game to have a one player who stays at one club for in Wes's case was it thick end of ten years. Alex, this would take him into a ninth season. That really is an anomaly now that the way players move around um, increasingly particularly at the top end of the game and and it un- underscores how good a player he's been you know I'll have to I'd have to dredge the memory to think what Chris Hewitt I think it was who brought him in what yeah. what they paid for him I don't think it was anything particularly no, it was about three million from from Ren in, in, in France and so yeah I mean Hewitt you know you compare that to uh, some of the deals I know you, you did a piece uh, with some quotes from Stephen Naismith this well, morning for yeah. instance I mean that three million has been well worth it uh, um, exactly I mean in terms of nine seasons as it will be now of service um Yes, you're right. I mean, and it's worth pointing out that his injury record this season is far healthier than it than it probably has been, pretty much every, any other season he's been at Carrow Road, and and again that's probably a testament to l- less workload in terms of the international side of it, but also maybe that maturity, knowing how to manage his body, knowing to listen to the warning signals with his body, and and obviously a good sports science and, and medical team that they've got around these players now as well. Um, but yeah, I think I think obviously now this will delay those kind of chats about where he ranks in in Norwich's sort of pantheon and and the length of service and, and what a, what impact he's had. But I think when we do eventually get to that point, and it might only now be, you know, this time next season if if they decide that probably it's one year and that's it. But I think when the dust does settle and Alex Tetty is no longer at Norwich, I think he will people will reflect on in a very turbulent period for the club in terms of the ups and the downs on and off the pitch that he was one of the constants yeah and it's a, it's a testament to the lad I think he's a 
popular person certainly isn't he with almost all fans and certainly from our side of things from interviewing he's always an interesting guy to interview yeah. isn't it because it, it you sometimes get the feel like he's not sure what word is going to come out next he, he almost can't trust himself to you know not let the odd swear word slip in or just talk like a normal person that's yeah. what that's what's great about Alex he's a really warm and friendly and quite jokey person isn't he uh, for instance where were we the other week at I'll tell you my favourite anecdote on Teddy, but you've got to, you tell, you tell you. Okay, well, yours is probably better than this then. But <laughs> uh, uh, Turf Moor, after the game, uh, Alex has only played a small part in the late stages as a substitute, I think, off the top of my head, and walked through the mixed zone, as it's called, where uh, the journalists wait to speak to the players. But Alex wasn't on our agenda that day, and he walked past and just sort of said something uh, in sort of a, an ironic voice along the lines of, "Yes, we're really pleased with the uh, with the win. Really pleased to score some goals." In sort of a, a vague Daniel. Parker impression almost <laughs> with a big grin on his face just happy to get through to the next FA Cup uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, stage but I- I'm sure yours is better than that no 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 <laughs> no. but I mean just as you say I don't think uh, we don't we didn't know him prior to arriving in Norwich but I, I never you never get the sense in terms of the media that he was one of those who was maybe coached what to say and mm, yeah. uh, and, and and very bland uh, sound bites there was the, the me the classic Tete was the Summer where they went to Italy, I think it was Neil Adams uh, was in charge, and um, they, it's safe to say the pre-season logistics of that tour left a lot to be desired. And they ended up playing that. Well, I think the I think I think <laughs> to be polite team. to them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, and yeah, I think they were like basically they were an amalgam of people who were just passing the stadium. I think <laughs> borrowing kit, borrowing balls, and, and Norwich won ridiculously easy. And then it came to light that I think they they whatever team they said they were they. That that team had been impersonated apparently. So anyway, quite quite an amusing uh, slant on the normal pre-season grind. But then when I remember one of the early league games after the start of that season, where Alex was doing some pre-match media and um, sort of referring back to probably how the preparations in pre-season haven't been the best, and he basically said, "Yeah, including when we played that, I won't swear, but begins <laughs> with begins with S and it's four letters. Yeah, that that S team in Italy." Uh, and the look on the media types who were, who were part of Norwich's uh, media and comms at that, that point in time was priceless. Um, and I think, thankfully, it wasn't going out live. But uh, yeah, in terms of off the cuff, you couldn't get better than that. He's a good lad. So in, in that side of things, you know, legend, tick, good guy, tick great experience he's a talker as well isn't he that's a big thing on the pitch and off the pitch as well I think he's somebody who's happy when things aren't going well to to put his thoughts across and you know he's got a little bit of an aggressive streak to him on and off the pitch as well isn't he in terms of he he can boss people around when he needs to Um, so that side of things um, is good but I suppose this is also an an acknowledgement I I looked at the situation for my column a couple of weeks ago I think it was on the Saturday of the Newcastle game knowing that we were going to be coming on to this situation again with Alex because of course two years ago um, we thought he could be leaving didn't we which was at the end of Farker's first season when we as far as we understood he took a reasonable pay cut to stay with the club at that point and sign a new two-year deal because he was so keen to keep his family in Norfolk his kids are settled his wife is settled etc so at this point it's also a sign that they still haven't managed to find a replacement have they of course this season Ibrahim Amadou comes in from Sevilla on loan and that didn't work out but I guess we may have seen a hint to the future in terms of of Melvin City in, in, in January 
Yeah, it's a great shout. Amadou hasn't cut it. Louis Thompson, of course, heavily beset by injuries, but I'm sure they maybe as they were putting the pieces together on, on in the jigsaw when Alex signed that previous extension under Daniel Farker, probably thought maybe Louis would come through and that hasn't happened. And yeah, I mean Melvin City, if he plays in a similar type of role, I, I haven't actually seen him play, so you only can take your, your view at this stage from from the various reports, but. He's such a young man that you could understand if he is seen as maybe a potential successor that possibly at 19, 20 next summer coming in. England, big move for him. If it's the Championship, very tough league to come in first time and hit the ground running, that it makes sense maybe to almost have uh, you know uh, the father figure there just to guide him along um, if they see him as part of this succession plan. But I wouldn't I wouldn't quite um, dismiss Alex Tetty just yet because, as I say, be, on the evidence of what we've seen this season, keep him fit, keep him healthy. And, you know, he's the type of player, the, the things that he's good at, I, I think aren't necessarily going to get dulled by age. You know, it's not like a striker who's pace and then they lose a yard or half a yard or whatever, and uh, or, or a defender again, same thing. You know, you lose a yard of pace and, and you're far more susceptible. I think what, he's such a, an intelligent player where he positions himself on the pitch almost that sixth sense to anticipate where he needs to be to put a flyer out in front of the back four. I think they're the, they're the sort of skills that, A, means he would still be a relevant option for Norwich moving forward, but also, B, as you rightly say, Norwich haven't got enough of in the squad elsewhere, and that is an area they will need to address. Because on a broader point, you look at even the top teams, you know, the Man Cities, they have a Fernandinho, they have Liverpool, Jordan Henderson, Fabinho... You don't just need the wonderfully gifted midfield creative types. You also need, in any successful team, to have those other type of players who, yes, can do that, but maybe their gifts are more about what they can offer without the ball and or against the ball. And uh, to have that blend, if you can have anything as, as a team successfully, you need that blend. And Norwich have got it with Alex Tete, but they do need now moving forward and maybe Melvin City's the first step on that road. They do need to find a successor to the guy. Yeah, the um, in that column that I mentioned a minute ago, I haven't got it in front of me, but I think it was that his average pass success completion rate uh, per game uh, was at about 82% in his City career prior to Daniel Farker's arrival and has been closer to 87% in the Farker era. So you can see that Daniel has had an impact on him and that in, that um, insistence on, on a passing possession-based game has probably had a natural effect almost on Alex. And he himself is probably willing to admit that technically he isn't the most gifted player. You know, he he's a firefighter essentially, isn't he? He is that one of those key bricks in the wall to 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 help the defence. He puts out the fires when the fullbacks bomb forward, particularly last season when you saw Max Aaron's Jamal Lewis bomb forward. So yeah, if they're in the Premier League next season, fingers crossed that the great escape happens, they stay up. That's where some money's got to be spent. You know, you think Amadou, that was supposedly a, a million pounds for the loan and £9 million to follow on for a permanent deal. So he was worth £10 million, and frankly, he didn't look like he was good enough to do it, did he? Because his use of the ball wasn't as good as Teddy. So how much are you looking at to buy a really good standard Premier League defensive midfielder? You could be looking at closer to £20 million, maybe even more than that, when you think that the Norwich's top talents, you know, Max Ahrens, Emmy Buendia, we're talking about 20 25 possibly even more for those sort of players. So that's just sort of... You're going right for a good Premier League player, isn't it? So... In the championship, probably a different 
deal. You know you can rely on Alex. Unfortunately, that would mean a third Premier League relegation for him as well, wouldn't it? So that's something that he'll be desperately hoping doesn't happen. So there's there's still plenty of moving parts on this one, but I, I think you, you can sum it up as in he's a good guy to, to have around the squad. And while we're on it, um, we've got the list in front of us of, of City's contract situation. And this does make Stuart Webber's life quite a bit easier, really, doesn't it? Um, in terms of this season, or this summer, really, 2020, there's no major players out of contract now. Andre Duda, Ralph Fairman, they'll both, uh, their loans will expire. Obviously, they're not going to remain, or there's going to be no chance of them coming back if Norwich don't stay in the Premier League. And beyond that, you've got Dylan Giacimi, Aston Oxborough, both young lads out on loan. Uh, and Sean Raggett as well, who's out on loan at Portsmouth, and they're doing well in League One. There is an option in all of their contracts, though. So if City want to keep any of them, or all of them, then they, then they could. Then you move into 2021, and it's a similar story. At the, at the moment, as things stand, it's just Michael McGovern, Carlton Morris, Tetty, of course, because um, we could, in a year's time, be talking about whether he'll get the 10th season, which will take him definitely through to a testimonial, and Mario Vrancic. That's the one big one. So... In terms of Stuart Webber's peace of mind, he's in he's in a very comfortable position, isn't he? He is. I was just as you were going through there, DF. I was just calculating how many windows transfer windows Stuart Webber has had, and I'll make that five now since he came in. And I think some of his earliest pronouncements were: "This is going to take time. This is going to take quite a number of windows for me to a reshape the squad in terms of outs and and shedding the players who." either they didn't feel were fit for purpose or just through the financial scenario that Norwich faced um, with the approaching end and now obviously end of premiership parachute payments from the last time. Um, Allied to obviously, more importantly, in terms of moving forward in the future is is remoulding a squad capable of taking them on to what Daniel and Stuart are trying to build here. And, And now you go through that, we're looking at it in front of us and five windows in effectively, um, I'd say he's pretty much there now. You know, he, there's no uh, player uh, power type scenarios where the club, whoever it was, current regime, previous regime, have allowed contracts to run down to um, a worrying uh, whether the tilting balances towards the player and the representative rather than the club. In all of those scenarios now, Norwich will hold the upper hand. You know, whether it's those three you mentioned uh, taking up an option um, for this summer, whether it's the guys in 2021, including Alex, you know, Mario Carlton, Michael McGovern, uh, or more importantly, probably because you then go into the 2022 onwards bracket and it's the most saleable assets, isn't it? It's the younger players. It's the Cantwells, uh, the Jamal Lewis's, Max Aaron's, Ben Godfrey, Buendia, even, of course, you know, the astute bit of business to, to renew Timu Puki's contract. You know, their most saleable assets now are tied down beyond... 22, the summer of 22, which, however it plays out this summer, does strengthen Norwich's hand, and that's fulsome credit to Stuart Webber because it took a while, you know, um, but I think they've now got to a situation where Norwich are firmly in control of the squad and, and how they shape it, rather than, you know, players maybe holding the upper hand in any sort of uh, potential contractual negotiation. So, yeah, it's taken a while, but... Um, but looking at that, irrespective of what division Norwich find themselves in, I, I think this will be a summer where a lot of what happens will be on Norwich's terms. And, and that's not definitely been the case in, in summers past. Absolutely. And as we talked about in the pod after the Newcastle game, relegation clauses, we, as far as we know, very much prevalent in all these contracts because Stuart Webber has seen those mistakes that have been made at the club in the past, hasn't he? So um, if they are relegated, then... 
it may quite possibly or very likely with even with this new Teddy deal there will be a relegation clause in there you would be highly surprised if there wasn't uh, the 2024 group the uh, lads with the longest deals uh, encouragingly Max Ahrens and Emmy Buendia and then the two new lads signed in January Sam McCallum and Melvin City they're all committed to 2024 uh, Ben Godfrey and Timu Pookie, uh, no, sorry, Ben Godfrey, Jamal Lewis are both in the 2023 category, although Godfrey, there is a year option. Uh, Pookie and Campwell in the 2022s, although Pookie, uh, there is also an option on his contract. So um, check out uh, Thursday's EDP and Evening News or at pinkin.com for uh, the full list, um, which we've got a uh, lovely looking graphic to illustrate the situation for you. Uh, I think that will do for now. Um, the only other ones uh, I was going to mention uh, in terms of possible future prospects Charlie Gilmore is out in Holland isn't he he was with Arsenal uh, when he was younger Scotland Youth International he's a defensive midfielder playing regularly for Telstar in the Dutch second tier uh, and one possibly who could come into that category Isaac Thorvalds in the Iceland under 19 international he's gone to Fleetwood on loan in League One he hasn't played yet and although when I the, the bits that I've seen of him uh, he was more of an attacking player uh, quite diminutive almost maybe Houlihan-esque in fact I think if I'm remembering the right player Matt Gill did describe him as being a little bit Houlihan-esque at one point but for Iceland he has been playing as a deep lying defensive midfielder so perhaps there's been a bit of a conversion with him but he hasn't actually played for Fleetwood yet so that's one to um, to keep an eye on but beyond that it's Louis Thompson who is out on loan at MK Dons so um, it would be nice to see some other options come forward to, to challenge Tetty but full story is at pinkman.com of course and if you haven't listened to this week's full podcast then please do that has got the full preview of the Liverpool game where we will catch up with all you guys on Saturday we'll have the press conference as well on Friday it's all go world European and very likely to be Premier League champions in town or in the city should I say <laughs> on Saturday evening so make sure you head over to pinkin.com for all the build up to the game